Well, today is our last day, our last Sunday, of officially going through the posture of the psalmist. That is something that will always stick with us and we need to take with us. But today will be the close of that series. How many have enjoyed this series? Okay, in a way that not just, you know, breezing through, so, oh, that was nice, I liked hearing that, but stretched you. Who's been stretched by this? Anybody other than me? Because <laughs> I'm really tired of it. Okay, well, those of you that didn't raise your hand, I'm going to pray that uh, God will continue to work this into you, because isn't posturing yourself in a healthy way challenging? When you have instincts that want to react to certain situations that may not reflect God's heart, posturing yourself in a way that allows God to have complete access to your reactions, to your choices, it's not always fun. Because we carry our own sense of justice, our own sense of how the world should be. And when we step into a relationship with Jesus, and even if you've been in relationship with Jesus all your life, you know he messes up all your plans, right? I mean, he just, gone. Well, today we're going to go through Psalm 113. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to get right into it this morning. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 113. And as you're doing that, I, w- I want to explain a couple of things. We will, in, in a few months, be going through a series in Romans. And we were going to do that out right out of the gates, out of this series. But as we prayed into it, the Lord kind of put a wrench in it for a minute. So I want to do one more thing before we get into it. So next week, we're going to start uh, a fall series on what it means to be a living invitation. And I'll say more about that next week. But when I say that, Sometimes people go, oh, you mean like invite people to church and do that uncomfortable thing? You know, knock on people. No, a, a deeper sense of that we're going to go through. And it's going to be an exciting time, a, a miserable time <laughs> in some ways because it is stretching to say yes to the invitation of God and to extend that with every breath you take. Yeah? So we're going to hit that next week. So if you hear me say invitation a few times this morning, it's because I'm promoting. Can we do that? Good? All right. I stalled enough. You turn to Psalm 113. Yes? All right. Thank you. Yeah, I don't ask rhetorical questions very often, so participation. Well, this psalm, in my mind, when I look at the entire work of the psalmist, give us an overarching premise or an overarching uh, picture of really what the psalmist lands at. That I really want us to pay attention to, and I've said this before, but you're going to hear this word praise over and over and over again in this, in this passage. And we need to. We really need to hear it, and we really need to receive it. Because it's more than just, ah, let's sing a song. That is great. That's where we go. But this is a lifestyle of being with Jesus. You understand that? This is a lifestyle of being with Jesus. So when I read this passage, I want you to hear those words. I want you to picture them. Use your imaginations. That's what they're there for. Use your imagination to see the depth and the breadth of God and watch him go beyond that. 
with all your imaginations combined in this room, he's going to go beyond that. So we're going to take a, a look at that this morning. So here we go. Verse 1. Someone want to read that for me? Just that verse. Praise the Lord. Stop. That's the beginning. What do we do? Praise the Lord. In the Hebrew, the picture there, and the word is halal, and the picture is to throw, to cast. So everything that we have goes to him. Everything. That's how this starts. Woo. It's, there's nothing leading up here. This is out of the gates, what do we do? Praise the Lord. Again, I say, what? Praise the Lord. You, his servants, the people of God, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praise, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? Who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. And how does this end? Praise the Lord. When we look at the psalmist, the common things we see is praise, praise, praise. They lament. They throw their hearts on the altar. They say hard things. They ask for hard things. They ask for restoration, for deliverance. But when it comes down to it, no matter how unfair their perception of God might be in the moments of strife and suffering, they always come back to what they know, and that is that God is good. And that He is deserving of all praise. Now notice this, this passage says, from the rising of the sun to where it sets. You know what that means? All the time, God is to be praised. So your concept of time should be occupied by praise. Is anyone else that feels like a, a tall order? <laughs> Anybody other than me? Well, we got to look at praise here for a second because our definition of it oftentimes is too small. So when we think of praising every day from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, with our small definition of praise, it sounds exhausting and monotonous. Am I wrong? Right? I mean, if, if we don't have a bigger picture of praise, we can become a little discouraged. Now, some people like doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. I, I'm not a fan of that. I need, I need a little color. <laughs> Right? A little pop. Or I get bored. I mean, you see how much I move around here. It's like watching a tennis match. I just, I'm bored standing here now, so I got to move. Now I'm bored. If, if I just look at praise, it's just, it's just singing a song or just doing this, then I am not going to see God in the way that 
He really wants to reveal himself. Now, I'm not saying that those ways aren't good. They are. They breathe life. What I'm saying is there's more. And who doesn't want more? Okay? When you say yes to Jesus in any situation, that's praise. When you confess, that's praise. When you walk with someone in the name of Jesus, no matter what their heartache, and no matter what you, you may disagree with in your life, but you are present with them, that's praise. You see, it's a variety of things because praise is simply giving everything you have to the Lord. So when we say praise the Lord, all you servants, that's an invitation. Okay? Praise the Lord, all you servants of God. So all of you that believe in Jesus Christ, you are invited to praise, to give him everything, to walk with his people, to walk with the brokenhearted, with the people that may even reject him. And to allow your life to be known to them in a way they know Jesus. They're seeing him. That's praise. That's not boring. I mean, that... It is not boring. It's hard. And oftentimes I don't want to do it. But it's, is that boring? No. So we need to expand. Thank you, John, by the way, the only one that said no. Um, we need to expand our understanding of praise. Because there's more for us to step into. Singing songs, yes, that's the way we praise the Lord. And we're going to do that today. But the way we posture ourselves... The way we posture ourselves really speaks, when we do that in a way with Jesus, really speaks of praise. When we look at the psalmist, they're praising God even when they're lamenting because they're giving it to him. They're saying, here's my doubts, here's my questions. God, I don't understand why it seems like you're doing this to me. Whether that's the truth or not, that's how I perceive it. But I know you're good. These guys are praising God through every letter that is written. Every single one. Because it's not just complaining. It's wanting to be faithful in where God is. And they are coming to him with the things that are on their hearts. How many of you have tough things in your life? Okay. Now, How many of you complained to God? Come on. How many of you blamed God? Okay. How many of you in your suffering have asked God why? Okay. Are those fair questions? Yeah. Do you believe God invites that kind of dialogue. Yes. How often can that notion be taken for granted? He takes a lot of abuse from us, does he not? And loves us unconditionally. That is a God worthy to be praised. So this is, this is the issue that we have here. When you look at the first three verses, it's praise, praise, praise. When you look at the, the middle three verses, it's who compares to him? Nobody compares to him. And the last three is, this is why. Because he takes the poor and he can seat them with princes. Now remember, in this culture, the poor had no place in society. And then it says, barren women makes the mother of children. Barren women in the Hebrew culture, whoa, that was the biggest disgrace. 
Because family inheritance is huge. But if you can't have kids... Now, it may not seem like that big a deal to us, but when you are reading this in the context in which it was written, this is huge stuff. God flips upside down everything that causes disgrace. He can restore. So, here's the question that we have. When you look at, it's the 15th year anniversary of 9-11. When you look at similar things that have happened in history it is, and especially if you've lost people, and you have these questions, here's the question that I've been asking all through the Psalms. When everything is taken from you that is good, according to your definition of good, is God still good? Now, our Bible answer is yes. Right? That's our Bible answer. So let me ask the question again. When everything is taken from you and you have no answers to your questions, why won't be answered? And what if you knew it never would be? Is God still good? You lose your job. You lose a family member. You lose a spouse. Your heart is ripped out of your body. Provision is taken from you. Comfort, you don't know that word, let alone the reality of it. Is God still good? Look, I've been in a church all my life, and it's a question that is always on my mind. Because we link the word good with the provision of something that brings us comfort and the lack of conflict. Right? Our definition of good is linked to comfort and oftentimes a lack of conflict. It's a good day. What makes it a good day? Well, no one annoying came up to talk to me. That's a great day. God didn't stretch me. I didn't have to do something uncomfortable. It's a good day. That's a good cookie because let me tell you what, it changed my life. It made me forget that I just talked to annoying people. It's good. We have this sense of goodness that is so shallow. And people will say, I've heard this. I've heard this from pastors. I've heard this from people that, that study the word, and they go, yeah, God is good. No, the word good is not good enough. Whoa! Well, Scripture tells us God is good, but they're using a definition that is tied to the very root of his character. Good is adequate enough, let me tell you. But we have to understand what that means. The very heart of God, love itself, is always good. No matter what your life is like or my life is like, it's always good. Because the only reason why you're here is out of his goodness. The only reason why you can complain to him is because of his goodness. The only reason why we can rejoice is because of his goodness. 
It's the only reason. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We say that as a cliche. Put it on the back of an airplane. God is good. All the time, God is good. So what? What does that mean to me? Everything's been taken from me. What does that mean? His goodness is not tied to the condition of your life. It's tied to his character. And what he does is presses his character into our lives because we were made out of that character. And it changes everything because there's always hope linked to his goodness. Look at Job. Here's a guy who went through it. Who's had the guts to read Job and actually ask questions about it in your prayer time? You, God bless you. In verse 7, he feels that God is, or sorry, chapter 7, he feels God is always looking at him, always there. Even through his stuff, he feels like God's breathing down his neck, so he acknowledges that God is there. And then in chapter 9, he feels like God isn't there. So you have this, ha, ha, ha. In suffering, you feel the presence of God, and sometimes you think you feel his absence. There's confusion. But the one thing I love about Job is he always, always, when everything was ripped from him, and even his friends were being a pain, oh my goodness, a pain, he always clung to the hope that God is good. And if you read the end of the story, guess what? God is good. Now, let's talk about that. End of the story. Our goodness, our definition of goodness that we attach to God has an end date. The day you stop breathing. So we look at the goodness in the context of what our life here is. But do you understand? It's a blip of the story that you are going to have with God. If we look at it, just my time here is all the time I get, then we don't know the God we think we know. Because the whole point is that we would be connected with him and restored to his presence in a way we're with him forever. I don't know what it is. Some churches are really like, nowadays, don't want to like creep people out and talk about eternity very much. But let me tell you, this is an eternal life with Jesus. That means no end. That, Jesus came to restore and give us hope and to give us access to him forever. That is a good God. Because guess what? As soon as that last breath is taken, your conditions change. God is good. The church has to reflect the goodness of God. I uh, met some of my neighbors this weekend, which is always hit or miss. Right? If you live in a neighborhood where you love all your neighbors, man, I'm moving to that neighborhood. And then there's going to be a neighbor you don't like. But I talked to one of them. Very opinionated man. I mean, woo. And then I was asked, what do you do for a living? <laughs> right? Because he got this puffing the chest out. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Ooh. 
And he says to me, so you're the reason why we're in trouble as a nation. Am I right? Steve? Steve was there. More or less. He goes, I blame the church. I went, me too. And then he goes, huh? What do you think people see when they look at the church today, especially in America? Do they see the goodness of God? Or do they see goodness made in our own image? Do they see a people that can sit in the ash of the poor and the suffering? And not just economically, but spiritually. Do they see a people that represent the body of Christ that can illustrate hope? when it looks like there's nothing to hope for? Do they see a people that when the sun rises, we praise? We praise with every breath. And when the sun sets, we praise. We fall asleep with praise on our lips. We dream with praise in our hearts and our minds. That's the goodness of God. That is the posture of a psalmist to identify the goodness of God on his terms and not our own. I look at my neighborhood and I go, wow, what a mission field. And how good it is to know I could just mow my lawn and reflect praise because my heart is with Jesus. And without saying a word to my neighbor, all he has to do is watch my countenance and my posture without me giving him more lip service, but just being present. What a privilege it is to praise. Have you said yes to the invitation to praise from sun up to sundown? It doesn't mean it's going to happen right away. I mean, I struggle with that, especially when I'm in the car and I see construction everywhere. And believe me, I'm not praising God in that moment. Right? It takes God kind of readjusting our focus in the moment. But have you said yes to the invitation to begin the journey? To say yes to the moments of failure so that you can learn and be strengthened by His Spirit. The goodness of God gives us room to fail because it's not about getting a perfect score on the test. It's about the journey to learn through trial and error the raw beauty of his character. I remember in school, you know, I stink at taking tests because I'm a little dyslexic, so I get all the numbers. Math was terrible for me. And I just praised God when I had multiple choice. (laughs) Okay? in the hopes that I could get a perfect score. But what I didn't realize is that with that, I took out the process of learning. We can live a lives as church as trying to do everything right, but for what? So you can get a perfect score, star in your star chart, a pat on your back. Suffering affords us the space to learn the goodness of God. 
and to illustrate to the people that live around us that the goodness of God does not change because you have a bad day. Maybe a horrific day. Maybe your life is torn apart. But he's a God that can restore in a second. And part of his restoration is an invitation to be with him eternally. For all time. And that's what we get to show people. But if we live under the created understanding of praise and goodness, we are going to fall short of modeling the character of God. Believe me, our neighbors, our families, the world around us needs to see a church that can exhibit and is willing to stand in the goodness of God, no matter what the condition. And I want to close with this. I remember, everyone remember where you were on 9-11? Kind of hard to forget. Was anyone in New York or in the East Coast or know someone that was? Okay. Well, I was going to school in Philadelphia, so we were only about an hour and a half away, two hours maybe. And I was, uh, was a sophomore in college at a Christian school. And I uh, saw the scene on the TV, and I, I went, oh, there's a building fire. And I couldn't believe how easily I dismissed it. <laughs> it's like, oh, that stinks. Lord, protect the people. I had no idea what. Then everyone's screaming and crying because when you're that close to the cities, you have people you know. And what was interesting was one of my complaints going to the school was it didn't seem like anyone wanted to praise God. Here's a Christian school and they're drinking, they're doing all this stuff. There was no sense of wanting relationship with God. And I felt honestly kind of lost. And then this happens. And then I watch everyone get on the soccer field and they're praying and they're crying out. And it's a beautiful sight to see people united. But here's the deal. Why is God only good when we need him? Why isn't he good all the time in our lives? When everything is good, we praise. When everything's bad, we praise. It was good they cried out. They should cry out. We should cry out. But it shouldn't take a terrorist attack for us to finally reach out and say, God is good. He can redeem this. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again because I think it's a beautiful picture, but I cannot, I cannot get this image out of my head, the little who's in Whoville, who celebrate at Christmas, all the stuff is there, and they're around that tree and they're singing. Nothing's wrong. It's all good. And that one outcast who feels like he has no value, he's a grouch, we call him the Grinch, wants to rob them of all of that because he can't be a part of it in his mind, so he wants to rob it all. So he does his best. Anyone remember the ending? This is how I interpret it. He didn't hear the screams. He didn't hear the wailing, the disappointment. He heard praise. And what does it say happened to his heart? It grew from this to his little box 
could not hold it. Here's the deal, folks. When we have everything, can we praise and say God is good? And when we have nothing, can we still come together and say God is good? Life is going to stink when we walk out of these doors because we're going to be tested with this. With the hard stuff that life brings, can we praise? Can we be the universal church of Christ? says God is good, God is good. All the time, God is what? Good. Do you believe that? All right, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would take what we believe and that you would flesh it out, that you would make it so abundantly real and in our face, we cannot ignore your goodness, even when we have questions of where are you. We want to posture ourselves in such a way that you are good, you are worthy of praise from when the sun rises to the sun sets, you are good. Help us identify the people that are in the ashes that feel barren and stand with them. And may our lives, without even saying a word, say, you are good. There is hope. He can take your situation and flip it upside down, and he wants to. God, would you remove, in the name of Jesus, any false definitions or inadequate definitions that we put on you about your goodness, about your worthiness, and about what it means to praise. You're worthy of everything we got. All we have is from you. I thank you that you can restore us, but I thank you that life doesn't end with our last breath here. It begins. We thank you that you are not absent in our suffering, and that suffering does not mean the absence of you, but it's an invitation to step into you, into your goodness. Oftentimes we want relief, but I would be more relieved to know I'm where you're at. So help us stay where you are. Praise you all day long in the little things and in the big things. Anyone other than me feel his presence right now? Okay, Lord, we ask that you would increase in Jesus' name. Those of us who are feeling a little disconnected, Lord, would you rearrange the wiring in our hearts and connect us to your presence, and may we give you permission to do so. More, Lord, more. If you want more of his presence right now, just ask in your heart, out loud, I don't care. But just say more. Lord, we want more. We want more. More. Or we say yes to the invitation to praise you. We say yes. Thank you, Lord. More. As we take this offering, 
<laughs> would you rearrange our understanding of what that means? Sometimes we think in percentages, financially, time-wise, resources, or 100% of who we are is yours. So would you bless the offering? Would you bless our hearts in a way that uh, we are not uh, bound by money, time, lack of resources, but understand that in you we have all that we could need or hope for. I thank you for the blessings. I thank you for the tough times and the good times because it's always the right time to praise. So as we enter more worship and praise through song, may we see it afresh and new and not be afraid to engage you. And not be caught in temptation to, ca- to count the cost of what it would mean to praise you in this moment. So would you help release us from whatever's holding us and keeping us from stepping fully into your presence in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to be your body, your hands, your feet. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Shout your praise Our hearts will cry These bones will sing Great Are you Lord And all the earth will sing All the earth will shout your praise Our hearts will cry These bones will sing And as 
Ezekiel, there were these dry bones. And he just completely built up an army and created this dry bones into living. And that's what he does is he gives life. He brings life. Let's sing that out one more time. It's your breath. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath.
change my heart, God. I'm green.